Hey, welcome back to Software Social. This episode is brought to you by Translate CI. Translate CI is a tool for developers that helps you localize applications with high quality human translations. It supports over 70 language pairs. Translate CI eliminates the need to work out of spreadsheets, hire translators, and manually merge language files. Instead, with Translate CI, you just use Git. Just connect your Git repo and Translate CI will pull out phrases and after a professional translator translates everything, they will merge into your existing code base with a pull request. And every time you push code to your Git repository, Translate CI will pull any new phrases out, translate them, and create a PR back. See how you can turn translation from a hassle into a breeze at translateci.com. Hey everyone, um, just a quick note before today's episode. So today's episode is a continuation of the conversation that I had with Jesse last week. And it's quite a bit heavier than our episodes normally are. And I want to give you a heads up in case this is a sensitive topic for you. So um, as many of you uh, may know from following Jesse on Twitter, his uh, first daughter was born last year and she was born with trisomy 13, which is a uh, usually fatal condition. And his daughter died soon after being born. And so we... We talk about that in in the episode and what it's like to be a founder throughout all of that. And I mean, it's 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 certainly not a topic that we we normally talk about here, but I think it's an it's an important one. And in many ways, I feel like this is maybe the most important episode we've ever done because you know, we are business people and we are, we are people, right? Like all of those things are happening at the same time. And, and people don't really talk about death, never mind death of a child. And, and, and so I feel like this is, this is really important to, to talk about. Um, at the same time, I also want to stress that it was fully Jesse's decision to talk about this. We, uh, so we, we actually didn't plan out last week's episode. Um, uh, Colleen was sick and I was supposed to be talking to a guest and they ended up having to reschedule, which is totally fine. But then I needed uh, somebody else to come on and had to record that day. And I was like, who I wanted to have on that um, is online right now and uh, reach out to Jesse. And so he hopped on with 20 minutes notice and he had published a blog post about this um, about a month back, but I wanted to leave it entirely up to him whether we talked about his daughter, Leah, and it, it didn't end up coming up in that conversation we had, and uh, it, was, it was a really fun conversation. And then we kind of, you know, we stopped recording, and then um, Jesse was like, you know what, let's, um, let, let, let's talk about it. So, um, so, so that's what we dive into. And, and it was also important to, to, you know, Jesse and I talked about whether, uh, we should publish this episode and, and how we should publish it. Um, and so it was important to him that there be this sort of 
content warning in advance, knowing that many people do struggle with infertility and, and miscarriage and, and the loss of a child. And, and, and it's also extremely important to, to me, I think, and to, and to both of us really to show that it's okay to be open about that and that if you are open about it, you'll receive compassion and that it's okay to talk about it. Um, uh, so without further ado, here is the second part of my conversation with Jesse from Bento. You may remember we recently had Jesse on talking about his incredibly fascinating background as a bodybuilder turned marketer turned developer who now runs a SaaS called Bento and lives in Japan and is, if you missed that episode, uh, go listen to it. It was so fun for me and and so fascinating. He's an incredible founder. Um, but something that really struck me from that conversation was how his life for the past like seven or eight years has just been a series of changing major stresses from working at this small company to moving abroad and starting an agency and then having to scale it down and then scaling it up and starting Bento and everything else, so much else going on. And so um, I have Jesse with us again today and we're going to talk about where like the, the personal side um, of all of that. So welcome back, Jesse. Thanks. Good to come back. So where should we start? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, we it was interesting because like like that thread that yeah, there there is a lot of stresses, I think, especially towards like the end of last year. Um uh which we can go into last year. Um there has been a pattern of that. There's also been a pattern of me putting myself in those stresses or overreaching a lot and then kind of I don't know. Not burning out, maybe burning out, but kind of like reaching the end of like whatever, you know, amount of gas that I had in me for whatever that venture was. And then just trying to, you know, regain myself, take a breather and then kind of go back out there and and overreach again. And I I still don't really know. uh, Maybe we can dig into it on this thing a little bit, but I I still don't know really where that comes from. Um, Basically, it's been present, I think, since after, after school. Um, you know, even like doing the bodybuilding shows and stuff, that was a pretty insane thing to do at 18, <laughs> 18, I think 19 was when I stepped on stage. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been interesting, but it's definitely been a pattern. It's been a pattern of constantly putting myself in like difficult situations, burning out, trying again. So a lot of stresses. It seems like you are either running like full hilt, like sprinting or resting. Yes. That's there's exactly like two, it. there's two Jesse modes and most of those, it seems like have been sort of like work related, but, um, hmm. but if you want to sort of start with it, I guess the end of last year, you had a major personal stress. Yeah. Uh, around the start of last year, things were looking pretty, pretty great. Bento was like starting to come into itself. The product was developing in a really good direction like we hadn't really found in quotes like product market fit but the direction was going in a way where like it was starting to click with people mainly we're going down the marketing automation route which people were really excited about and i felt my skills were getting better and like so from that business perspective things were going good in terms of the agency 
things were also going really good with that. We like survived the pandemic and we grew actually quite significantly over the pandemic, which was mostly related to having really good friends and uh, people like, yeah, just basically doing all my work online as well uh, because all of our clients are either in e-commerce or they're in affiliate. Um, So as those industries boomed, we basically kept hiring writers to um, support those businesses. So that was pretty good. So the start of last year, things were all looking good. Businesses, MRR, all that stuff was nice. We'd just moved into this like beautiful two-story house in south of japan right in the city which is if you've been to japan or you know much about japan it's hard to find uh housing like we do uh and the amazing thing was because the place was on the market for a bit just because during covid over in the year before covid people weren't really moving it's quite expensive to move in japan i think like all up for us to move from our apartment to this house it was like over over ten thousand dollars that you don't really see back and that's just like key money and a whole bunch of stuff so it's it's expensive and um but we did it we found this like beautiful house it has a garden so like our dog and our cat but don't tell the landlord um like our our dog and, and cat can like cat can roam the dog can play in the garden and stuff um got really nice neighbors all that kind of it's like a really quiet quite lovely japanese life so yeah, everything was looking really good. And then we found out that uh, my wife, Michaela, was pregnant. And that was super exciting. It, it was, it was you know, we were nervous. Well, that kind of like thing I, I wrote in the blog post um, that I put up towards the end of the last year is that like nice kind of combination of like excitement and, and nerves, but all around just excitement. So yeah, the start of the year was fun. The middle of the year was also fun. Uh, I started to have conversations with people about selling my business. Uh, one of those conversations kicked off incredibly fast with a client, uh, a previous client who Your wanted to buy the business. business. Yeah, yeah, the agency business. Um, a previous client, I was, it was a weird situation. It's probably worth going to this story. Um, a friend sent me a listing on Empire Flippers of a business that had the same uh, monthly revenue as me and had a, a dollar figure on it. And he goes, oh, this is interesting. Like, have a look at it. And uh, we knew the guy whose listing it was. And so it was just kind of like, you know, internet gossipy type stuff. And then um, I saw the dollar value and I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and then um, I spoke to another friend and I, who I knew was kind of, he, he said offhanded jokes, like, oh, I'd love to have your business. And then one day I was like, would you love to have, <laughs> would you love to have this business? Um, he's like, what do you want to sell it for? And I just said the number that was on, you know, the other person's listing. And he said, yeah, I'm kind of like interested in that. And what was going on in my head at the time is like, I kind of was feeling that running an agency, a growing software business and having a child, the three of them couldn't exist. (laughs) Um, Arguably starting a new business and having a child can't really exist. But um, I know people that have pulled it off. I knew you pulled off your business. Yeah, we um, did. Yeah. So, so you know, knowing stuff like that, I was like, I can do it with one. I don't think I can do it with two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, also because it's a people business, there was, um, you know, there's people's real lives and I cared a lot about the team. And so I wanted the team to persist. Um, And so I was kind of like looking for a new home. So I went to one friend, he went off and he was really interested. And I went back to the original person who sent me the listing that kind of gave me my sale price, which is kind of a weird way to go about it. I told him, I went, oh, hey, like I spoke to such and such and they were interested. And he replies, he goes, I'm interested. (laughs) Like I can get an LOI on your desk (laughs) like in 24 hours. I was like, whoa, this is interesting. And that basically kicked off the sale process. And the two people that ended up going on to acquire the business are like the kindest people and some of my like kind of dearest online friends. Plus our agency who had worked with them before, like loved them. 
And so it was it was the perfect fit. So at that point in time, I've got an exit in a business for um, for me, it was a life changing sum of money um, with a great uh, buyer. I've got a software project I love. I have uh, my wife who is pregnant. I'm in a lovely house and it is summer. So it's very hot. <laughs> and um, so everything's nice. Uh, and then we end up going to, I wonder if there's going to be, I wonder if this is going to make me tear up. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we ended up going to the hospital. Uh, well, actually the clinic. So in Japan, there's uh, clinics and uh, they're kind of, I don't know. I don't know how to explain them. Uh, looking back at it but clinics are basically hotels with doctors in them in japan um like they do these extravagant meals and you know you get massages and it's you said it's just, like a uh, labor and delivery hotel yes exactly sounds nice <laughs> um, honestly like yeah yeah it is nice but the dynamic is that if they notice a single complication you get ejected immediately <laughs> and um given that this was like our first experience with the um you know the japanese pregnancy healthcare system i don't really know how to say it but like that kind of funnel <laughs> you're kind of going down um it was all very surprising and then like one of the checkups uh they're looking at the monitors and i i not the doctor which i which still ticks me off i noticed like a black dot on like our child's stomach and i was like what's that that looks odd and he goes yeah that is that is odd i'm gonna take photos and then he takes photos and kind of look, looks at it then over the next um couple of uh visits they write us a letter to go to the hospital and then give us our deposit back <laughs> which uh i remember sitting and going like michaela why are they giving you money back that's weird and she goes i don't know but they're saying and she speaks fluent japanese so it's you know there's a lot of uh different ways i don't know Japanese communication is very different to Western communication. There's so, nuance um, to it. Yeah, it's it's nuance. So they're giving us a refund, but they're not really saying anything. But there's so much implied in that. And so, and also my Japanese isn't good. So I, throughout all this, we, we had an English doctor, which was nice at the clinic. But throughout all this, I'm kind of like reading the room, reading faces and mm. trying to absorb energy and just quite a lot. And then I'm absorbing my wife's energy when she's actually knowing what's going on. Just awful. Anyway, we go we go to the uh, hospital, and uh, the doctor there, who stayed our doctor throughout the whole thing, he, he was a mensch. He was just the greatest guy. He um, just beelined and found everything wrong with our child. Um, and what's interesting is that, like, when you detect one thing, and I think like this is an inter- interesting thing, as like reflection on myself and like how I looked at it, is like any time that there was a problem that he would pick up, I'd be like, oh, that's fixable. In my head, like I was like, oh, that's fixable. Then as he gets like the fifth thing wrong, <laughs> he's like, here's, here's the fifth problem. You start going, oh, I think there's something bad here. Um, so then we do the, what is it, amniocentesis? Yeah, amniocentesis, yeah. Yep, yep. That comes back uh, with the diagnosis that like our child has trisomy 13. Now, whilst all this is going on, I'm doing due diligence in my business. I'm trying to sell my business. It's incredibly stressful. I find out my child has trisomy 13, which is effectively like a death sentence. Really brutal. Um, And the kicker is that we're past the date because we found out late because of the clinic. And I feel comfortable putting blame on the clinic here because we're past the date in Japan where where, uh, you can't uh, abort 
So regardless of the status, you have to carry full term, no matter what. That's an awful, that's awful, you know, like knowing that you have to, let me just recenter myself. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that your wife has to essentially carry full term and I guess the good thing is like you get, you get closure, uh, but it just sucks. What, what were the odds you were given of, you know, survival? Yeah, uh, it's it's like ninety percent dying in seven days, like that type oh. of stats. Uh, it's it's brutal. Like, yeah, it's 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 a death. It's a, it is a death sentence. What's kind of interesting is like, uh, you know, you, you turn to social media, so you, you look at Instagram and stuff. Michaela was really different to me. She spent like a lot of time looking at stuff. I was trying to find answers. I realized there weren't no answers, so I, I kind of channeled my my dad a lot um it's okay well it's not i mean it's not okay <laughs> so I, I channeled my dad a lot and that allowed me to kind of like get through it from like a stoic part but I didn't really process it like i kept trying to mimic him which was good but it sounds like that's like sort of I mean, it's what you're trying to do right now, which is steal yourself up against the emotion because it's, I mean, it's, it's unthinkably hard to to know that your wife is carrying a child that is going to die. And then, I mean, of course, we all know that our children are going to die eventually. We simply just hope that's after we ourselves go, right? But yeah and then you have all of this business stress <laughs> going on and you're someone who like takes it seems like you you're as a person you're someone who looks for stress almost and kind of enjoys it in a, in a in a way but it's all previously the stresses you took on in your life were all things that you opted into i and chose them yeah you I, chose I chose them those so I could and I cho- you chose the stress of being a parent and but this was not the kind of stress that you signed up for like you you were blindsided by this stress versus all of your other stresses seemed to kind of build slowly and you had time to adjust to them and you and and you could you could you know you could pivot away from them which you were in the process of doing with with your agency business <laughs> at this time and then you're just you just i mean your life was just hit by a train like yeah and and you know like the interesting thing is um <laughs> like work work was work was my coping mechanism so like yeah. f- for me i i just the bento product <laughs> uh evolved i think found product market fit revenue was up i'm not gonna say my mrr numbers but <laughs> up probably 3x what they were in a six-month period all whilst coping um like the the graph is looks like you know those kind of hockey stick hockey stick meme silicon valley graphs um and that was cope if i'm going to be frank and the product was just evolving so fast and i had friends who didn't necessarily know what we were going through and then like they were sending me stuff they're like oh like how are you shipping stuff so fast and it was just because like what else am i supposed to do because you're you're walking this like bizarre march to the end because you you know the outcome right like most kids die at birth um if they if you want to extend their life 
you have that option. You have the optionality to, but like, like what for, you know, it, I think it's more suffering for the parents. Um, and, and with trisomy 13, the, the children are non-responsive. So they may be breathing, but you know, nothing really else. So yeah, you're walking this March. So it's like, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. Like I still remember getting like the, uh, after the business transaction went through getting the lump sum, which was a goal since I was like 18, I like wanted to hit a goal by the time I was 13 and, uh, the dollar amount hit my bank. Didn't, I, I felt really good. It was at the gym again. I felt really good for about 30 seconds. And then I felt sh- like shit house, which was just interesting, you know, hit a goal that I had my sights on for years. Didn't really mean much. Like to hit that goal for, and have a life changing amount of money and, I don't know. I, I imagine that 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 probably felt bitter. You know, like I, I people say that money can't buy happiness, and it seems like an experience where you stared that in the face that money indeed cannot buy happiness, no matter how much you have. It also can't solve problems. It's not even the happiness part. It just can't solve. Yeah. Like sometimes money can solve so much problems. If I'm running into a Postgres issue at the moment with Bento, which sometimes I am, I can throw more money at the problem. I can add more CPU. I can increase my storage. Um, I can hire help. Uh, can't can't do that here. So I think uh, like for context, like what, I'm 29 this year. So I think like the first time, it was like a real raw experience of like, no matter what I do, I can't solve this. Like I can't work my way into a solution yeah. and I can't solve it with cash. And so really was the f- the first proper instance where, where I had to kind of deal with that, which was just, yeah, super <laughs> hard to, to kind of go through. Um, yeah, it's tricky. Tricky. And it, so, and it sounds, you, you coped by... Just, I don't know, throwing yourself into something that was sort of predictable and comfortable and. I could control it. Yeah, controllable. (laughs) Yeah. Like I could make the graph go up. I could fix problems. I could make customers happy. Um, But yeah, I mean, like we we went on trips and stuff, but they've got like a kind of a sad cloud over them and stuff. So like we we tried to do stuff. Um, And, you know, I'm obviously incredibly in love with my wife and where you know we love each other so we spend a lot of time just kind of like feeling emotions and stuff and just walking together but then you do the birth and then you know it it goes the way it does uh and uh yeah and then you know what's interesting and then you end up speed running the it's probably a real weird software social fun reflection is probably a real weird kind of thread and stuff to talk about uh on the software social podcast. Well, this is real life, right? Um, like you're not just yeah. this robot that runs a company, right? Like you're a person who also runs a company, who also sold a company at the same time. Like like this, it, like, you know, for us, I mean, the story of Geocodio is is like inter- intertwinable with the fact that we couldn't afford daycare and that's why we had to start a business. Like there's no separating those two. Totally. Like our, our work and our lives are in so many ways, one and the same. And yes, so it's weird, but this is real. And I mean, I feel like I can hear 
how hard this was for you just alone in the way you talk about it because I noticed that you keep saying you when you mean I or we. You're saying, you know, you go through the pregnancy knowing what's going to happen and you go through this and and like you're putting this linguistic difference there. Great observation. That's super And I don't know if you hear yourself doing that, but it just it tells me how like understandably how hard it is for you to I mean to 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 I, I guess we should let the story finish because you know I've I've I know the story, but maybe um people listening don't. So do you wanna Yeah, I'll I'll speed yeah. run through it because it's a little bit traumatic. Yeah. Um so yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, right? so that's okay. Yeah. So we end up, um, uh, Michaela gives birth to Leah. She passes away in my arms. Um, I was able to be there with her, which after, was beautiful, but yeah, after, after the birth, because COVID, right? Yeah. Um, so, so how long so, was Leah alive for? Like under 30 minutes or so. Yeah. But alive. And then, and then she passed. Uh, mm. our doctor, if it was done during the day, our doctor, again, like I can't kind of like say enough good things about him. He, what is it? He curated it in a way that I could be there with Michaela. If I, it was during the day or any other time, he, he knew what outcome we wanted and he knew, uh, yeah, he, he knew the outcome that we wanted and he wanted me to be there. And so he curated the delivery so that I could. So we're kind of like indebted to him. Um, and then you know what? You go through the Japanese uh, healthcare system, which is, designed to give you closure in the f- in the fastest way possible we uh <laughs> met i think i wrote in like the post that i, I did the write-up of like we met this lady who we called the bones lady so you know we're in a room with our uh you know our child who's passed away and this lady comes in and starts commenting on our child's bones she's like oh she's got a long femur and you just can't help but but laugh you're like who who the hell is this lady? Who the hell is this lady? And I remember like Michaela's like, oh, she's talking about Leah's femur. <laughs> like, oh, what? <laughs> she's like, again, Michaela speaks fluent, so she understands what's going on. But we don't know who she is. Like, even with Michaela speaking fluent, we don't actually know. She, but she's, she's like asking about a child's bones. We end up finding out that she's basically like a salesperson for the crematorium who's organizing the, <laughs> the process. Um, but she's doing it in a really bizarre way. Anyway, we meet the bones lady. Uh, she gets some details from us. Uh, we end up doing like a ceremony with all the doctors, which was quite beautiful uh, in the hospital. Then they put us in a taxi with uh, with Leah on my lap and send us to the crematory with a taxi driver who's like super eccentric, who's <laughs> like making noises as he's taking turns because he's so excited to go to the crematory, the city crematory because it's like big and epic. And so for him, he's like, he's excited. We're devastated. <laughs> um, so just the whole thing's just bizarre. And then we get to the crematory. Quite impressive. Never been to one before. Um, but you go to a room, you have time with your child. Uh, she gets taken away, comes back. You're in a room and we finally figure out what Bones Lady was about. And, you know, you see your child's bones. And she was kind of asking like, did we want them crunched up in a certain size? It's just very bizarre because in, ja- in, in in Japanese, you got to put them in a box, right? You got to put the ashes in a box, but the bones are there, so you got to put the bones in the box. And she's kind of asking, "How big do you want the bones?" To- <laughs> it's just and you're doing uh, all of these weird decisions in the middle of being like in extreme grief and shock. Yeah, but you're you're just in shock. 
great yeah. fucking kick tape. You're just right. Yeah, shock. it's just yeah. You're running yeah. on so, autopilot so, at this point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like in. I, like if there is an opposite of flow, like an extreme right. opposite of flow, you're like in that, which I guess is just yeah. shock. So yeah. you, you you are just focused on going from A to B to C, and then you get home. We've got um, we walk up the road. Our neighbor sees us. She sees us with the box. She breaks down. We give her a hug. Our neighbor a hug, and then we go home and we're done. And then we begin uh, processing all whilst doing everything else that was going on in the year. Um. So yeah. It was hell of a year. Hella, hell of a year. And then meanwhile, you've probably got, you know, waking up to like customer emails to get through and like. Every morning. Databases <laughs> to keep going and like. Yep. Love Postgres. All of that. Yeah. yeah. While dealing with this just, I mean, crater in your life. Yeah. And to that note, like, I, I don't think I. Uh, it wasn't until I took Christmas off, to be frank. Like I, like that whole year, I'd just been working, been working, been thinking, been in shock. And so when I took the first week off during Christmas, because you know people aren't sending that much emails, that they're away, which is nice. It was the first week that I could actually process, which is when I like wrote up the post and I put it on my site and stuff. I like relaunched my site uh, on Vercel and stuff, which was quite fun. And then uh just started writing as like i just kind of wanted to document like the year and then kind of process it because i just really uh, like hadn't done any processing at all also something that i i realized was that when i did post about it particularly from men uh i would have a lot of men reach out to me and that was interesting like like maybe honestly probably like 70 people or so I think probably reached out to me, um, which, and I don't have a large audience. So I was kind of like shocked that so many people had lost children, had been dealing with infertility for like five years. And these were like impressive business people that I like admired. And, and to find out that they had like a beautiful family of four and had lost three children, you know, yeah. crazy. So... Yeah, it was. I, I it was, feel like we don't really. Interesting. I mean, I think you know we, we we have another friend who who lost a child last year, um, and uh, I think our society doesn't really teach us how to how to talk about that and how to support people who are who are whether that's infertility or miscarriage or, um, you know or you know losing a child after they're born um like i mean that you had 70 people reach out and i noticed that the reactions to that post were a lot of people saying you know nobody really talks about this and we went through this and and i didn't know what to say and i didn't even know how to talk about it and i think what you did was so incredibly courageous and important for um making it clear that it that it's okay to talk about this yeah thanks i because it is it is interesting like you'd have people and they'd be like oh you know even like customers and stuff they're like i had no idea that you were like 
you know, they, they, they may be customers that like would message me a lot <laughs> um, or were like really passionate Pento customers and like they felt some sort of guilt. But I kind of tried to tell them like, don't feel guilty. Like it was kind of like how I was coping. But I think like what I'm realizing is that like, yeah, like businesses and people, are co- business essentially people and people are complex and they have complex lives and stuff is either in their control or out of their control and they're just kind of going through it. But I think, you know, online you just kind of see like personalities or you just see people being successful and stuff and you don't really realize so much is going on behind the scenes. Um, and it's not like you should know. It's not like you should know, but I think when you're going through stuff yourself, it's very helpful to know that like, you know, you could look at other people's lives and kind of take their time horizon um, as your own, you know, like for, for us, it's like, oh, all right, we lost our first child, but like, you know, if we want, we can try again. And it looks like other people have, um, like we've we got some, some friends that have uh, gone through like the infertility process and trying to resolve that for six years, seven years. And like have just become pregnant, you know, and and seeing people's journeys on that, it's just they're just like so courageous. And again, successful people, people that you admire, but they're going through these like much larger <laughs> battles behind the scenes, um, which kind of makes them all the more impressive, maybe. Um, but also, yeah, it's just it's just quite real, you know. Um, yeah. It seems like you've learned a lot about the, I don't know, the benefit or of being open about this. Like you talked about how you reacted initially and really just trying to steel yourself against it. And I can almost hear that there was like this transformation in you now of, you know, you said you go for walks and you feel your feelings together and you've talked to all of the 70 other people who reach out to you. Um, I guess it sounds like you've, you've learned that maybe there's other ways to process the grief besides forgetting it's happening and burying yourself in work. Uh, Yeah. It's interesting. It has been really good talking about it. Um, I think the reason I spoke about it as well is because Michaela has always been phenomenal about talking about stuff publicly. So like when we kind of knew the diagnosis and stuff um, after that was kind of confirmed, we, we started talking about it. Uh, Sorry, she started talking about it. And I think I, I saw how she was processing stuff by like writing public things. And I just thought it was really impressive and like really courageous, but she, she got a response from like, mostly women that were following her. And so I think I was kind of inspired by that. But then again, I saw her kind of healing from it. Maybe, I don't know. It's a long journey to actually like heal properly, but processing. Yeah. Yeah. Processing. It had like healing properties of like talking Mm -hmm. about it publicly. And so by doing that myself, I definitely kind of felt that. And then it kind of was interesting after writing the post it kind of drew a line in the sand for me that I could start, healing it also gave me permission to uh stand up for myself a little bit more like and uh tell myself i gotta make sure that like i look after myself this year Mm. and so setting more boundaries on myself uh being more confident of saying no when i know what my boundaries are like i've made a couple of decisions this year um 
around mostly around high, like mostly about putting myself in stressful situations again. I think like coming all the way back um, when we were kind of talking about how I would constantly like select stresses, put myself into them and just like try and make it happen. Through going through (laughs) all this stuff last year, I think I'm reflecting on that part of me and I'm saying no to it more. There's been a couple of instances of stressful stuff that like I've wanted to put myself into that I've just kicked the can down the road for a year. <laughs> and I think that's fine. Uh, like a, a large one's like a database thing. Like we were thinking about, you know, moving all of our data stuff to a single store or whatever. It doesn't really matter. But it was going to be a large stressful project that would have taken like a whole quarter to pull off and would have been like a heroic effort by heroic effort by me and colored. And then I was just like, uh, bugger it. I'm going to pay for Heroku Enterprise, upgrade, pay up front and not worry about it for 12 months. <laughs> and um, so d- decisions like that are good. And I'm trying to make more of them. So I don't, or even asking like, why am I doing this? Am I just like, am I overreaching for the sake of overreaching? And I don't want to do that this year. So that's one part, like giving myself permission. Also like from our customer base, we run like a lot of our customer support on Discord, like a community channel and telling people, hey, I need to take this weekend off or hey, um, you know, uh, I'm overloaded. <laughs> uh, do you mind just giving me a bit of a pause? In a public channel, people are super nice <laughs> and they're really understanding and they it's it's a little bit better. On that Discord note as well, I find that running a community-based support, people are way more empathetic. Um, you know, it's, mm. hey, how are you? I got a question. If I was running support of Bento on email, I probably honestly would have just shut the business down, <laughs> to be frank. You know, yeah, it's just like I find that when I get support tickets on email, they're often aggressive if they don't know who i am mm. uh whereas if they we encourage everyone to come to discord instead uh when they see how many emojis people are using and our custom emojis and stuff way more friendlier um mm. even if they don't know who i am and so mm. that was an interesting move by us last year uh that has held incredibly well over the stressful period and and, and even now so um, yeah, give myself permission to set up boundaries with customers and stuff or be like, hey, like I'm overloaded. Like I don't want to build that feature or I don't want to do that this quarter. Can we please wait? And people are like, yeah, no worries. And, and a lot of them have read the stuff that I've put out. So they they get it. Yeah. I mean, boundaries are, are, are so important. And, you know, something you just underscored there, which sort of, you know, so I talk a lot about how when we're, you know, understanding what a customer needs, there's, there's functional, social, and emotional reasons why they decide to choose a product or not choose it yeah. or change products or whatever. And I feel like I sometimes get a little bit of pushback on like emotional as if there is emotion in business. But I think what you just said right there of are we going to spend a quarter doing this database project or I can just use Heroku and delay this for 12 months? Like that's partly <laughs> a business decision, but that's a huge context of that is the emotional context of you imposing boundaries. You, I mean, and, 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 and deciding not only what the business needs, but also what you need as a person. And I, I doubt you got into this whole story with the Heroku enterprise <laughs> salesperson. Right. But like, and, and you don't even, you know, you don't need to, and they shouldn't pull it out, but like no. there is that emotional context behind it like it's still there's a huge part of the purchase decision 
Like, and to, oh. to act like it isn't there and there's only, oh, well, we just need a database thing and there's only this functional element to it is just completely missing all of the context. Uh, no, I I could not, I could not agree more. And like, I, I love that you bring this stuff up. The emotional part is huge. I can like speak to it at length for Bento, but let's take the Heroku one, for instance, right? I also speed ran myself through their sales process <laughs> um, because what, what I was doing by doing, I was actually upgrading to the Heroku plan. You basically pay up front um, and, you know, I could, I could haggle them down. Um, but I was, I don't think I can say the rates because I signed stuff. It doesn't really matter. I paid double digit percent for premium support. Essentially what that gives me, a couple of things. Uh, it takes me off their general population. By going to enterprise, you go off their general population like rails. So, you don't get auto shut down and all that kind of stuff, which I've seen friends, like it happened to them. Um, so I, I actually saw a friend during Black Friday get taken offline on Heroku and be down <gasps> for 48 hours no. um, because, of a, because of an automated glitch. No. Um, and so I saw that and I was like, that's never happening to me. <laughs> um, and uh, another one was uh, they've got a, uh, like, you know, after you pay for enterprise, uh, the premium support thingy, blah, 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 whatever that line item is, you get like one hour SLAs whenever you want. Plus you get to talk to like a database specialist uh, whenever you want, you just raise a ticket. Um, and so I was like, I need that. Like I, I want one out. If someone goes wrong, I want one hour response times. I like, I don't want to wait business hours. Like my mental health is super important. And if I can pay, you know, double mm. X percent for the bill, like that's why I was making the decision, you know? Um, and, uh, to that effect, like, was that a good decision for me? Well, it was because I had a call last week with a guy called Jesse Soyland from Heroku. Uh, loveliest guy came on, had a lovely big beard and, uh, amazing background that was animated. And, uh, I said, Hey man, I'm really anxious about all these Postgres things. Uh, like I keep seeing all these, you know, things in my database. Can we just go through everything one by one? We sat down. He took an hour and, and a bit with me, went through every single thing. Turned out I had nothing to worry about. But because of everything that I went through last year, I had like so many anxieties and like manufactured stuff. And so by leaning on someone, even if it was paid, uh, I was able to sleep well at night. Uh, and so like I may only have like one call this year, like touch wood. Touch uh got a lot of wood in my house. So touch wood, there's <laughs> there's no, nothing gonna nothing's gonna go wrong this year that I need them again. But if however many, you know, ten thousand plus dollars for this thing <laughs> for that one call probably would be worth it for me. And so it was, it was entirely emotional on that side. Um and then bringing that to Bento and a little less, you know deep and introspective people switch to bento because they're emotionally unhappy with their <laughs> their other platforms they dislike drip for whatever reason or they don't like clavio or you know a support person annoyed them in another tool and uh they've got you know a boost of emotional energy to make the switch mm -hmm. and uh they connect with me and they see that i'm excited about bringing them on board and they know they'll be able to talk to someone and that's all emotional kind of transfer of energy. They're pulling on my energy to be excited and pumped. They know that I'm going to, you know, well, hopefully they'll see that I like live up to my word and I'm going to be there when they need me. And uh, yeah, they're, you know, excited and happy to switch. And so, because it's, it's a lot to switch to a CRM. Like it's a lot to move your email marketing provider. It's not really a lot, but mentally it's a lot. Um, you got to change, you know, whatever code's adding data into the system and then you got to do your imports and stuff. But um to get someone across the line, especially if they're spending like 500 to 1,000 bucks a month or more, uh, it's purely emotional, to be frank. 
um, or it's insecurities. You know, I'm a marketer in a small SaaS company. My boss is telling me to do email marketing. You know, between you and me, I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, I have a lot of those conversations with marketers that are in-house that don't know what they're doing. They're nervous and so they can just talk to me. I've got access to a lot of SaaS companies. I've run, you know, email marketing for SaaS companies. I, c- I can help them. I can talk to them. And so, you know, the emotional energy there is that they're anxious. They're a little bit uncertain. They want a little bit of guidance and, you know, I can send them templates and give them ideas and guides and stuff. And then they feel empowered and happy and they become lifelong customers. Um, so, so much of the sales process is, is emotional for a business like Bento, but then there's also stuff which is just finance. And I don't, to be frank, I don't like those conversations and those customers tend to just not be the best ones where they're coming over just for a pricing reason or whatever. Mm. Uh, the best customers are generally the ones that are, you know, there's something underlying that. a real frustration. Like- yep. Real frustration, real anxiety, or something around the job to be done that um, there's just some uncertainty there. And, and, you know, me and uh, the team, Scott Ash, we can like basically help them and uh, make sure that, yeah, they feel confident and happy. And uh, if they've got a question, they'll be heard and they'll get an answer straight away. Um, So, yeah, sales is a huge part of, of sales, I think. Yeah, I mean, we we talked about that on the on the last episode you were on about the that like rapport building with someone, and you know, I mean, that came up in the um, example customer interview that I did with one of Colleen's customers. So you know, a much lower price SaaS, um, much sort of a, a lower hurdle to cross. But the person I interviewed, Drew, you know, he said, you know well, we're all junior developers and we didn't really know what we were doing and and we were running into these problems with this other service and all of a sudden this one just worked and like it seemed <laughs> impossible that it was so easy. Like, and, and, and yeah. you know, because, you know, I think when we have issues with software, like we, sometimes we doubt whether it's us. Like, I feel like at least once a week there's a moment uh, where I'm like struggling with something and I'm like, I swear I work in technology. Why can't I figure this out, right? Like we blame ourselves totally. for that. And then- and so recognizing that really, you know, you're basically selling sort of emotional relief and like you bought peace of mind from Heroku, yeah. which like, like you said, you said like that can, interview can be a headline, but like it's not quite. Yeah, like you, yeah. You, you said that in interview with like a Colleen's customer, I thought was kind of interesting because like there's so much there. Uh, there's It's not just like ease of use of a product or getting set up. It's like if they're working in for you know, a client, they've got deadlines. They don't want to be messing around with, you know, they're stressed. Uploading or there's a, they're like, stressed, there's right? emotional stress there. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's yeah. small and even if it's something that they don't want to waste time because they've got billable hours, they've got other people's expectations. And if you can help someone solve that part and you, you generally win the sale. Um, but I don't think people are necessarily mindful of that. They just kind of, I don't know. They look at people like numbers, you know, a person, slots onto their calendar and they're just trying to like get through the transaction, the sales transaction. Uh, but if you can get away from that, you can kind of like look more at the the person um, and actually deeply try and solve their problem, not just kind of like take things in one ear and out the other. Um, it's, really, it's really hard to lose sales. Um, often like a uh, kind of a thing you can look at is look at your close rate. Um, for me personally, I don't know how, it'd be interesting to hear, hear your thought. If you get on a, a call with someone do you like have any idea of what your close rate is um, of like how many deals when you personally get on the phone with them that like become customers, potentially long-term customers? 
I have no idea. I've never tracked that. I would imagine a tie. I've got a feeling a Probably. tie. Yeah. I mean, yeah. most like it's pretty rare that I, yeah, I guess it's pretty rare that I have a conversation with someone. Like, the, like there are very few, let's put it this way. The only way I would be able to track this is looking at my contracts folder and seeing which ones were only drafts and never made it forward. And I can only think of a handful yeah. in the last couple of years that are only drafts and I'm pretty much I'm pretty much always working on um you know a a, a larger like negotiating a larger deal. It's it's pretty unusual for me to not have at least one going on at any given time. Yeah, which is interesting, you know? Like that that's yeah. a, that's a, as far as the sales things concerned like that's a really high close rate, but you're naturally curious, you're looking on the emotional side of things, I think during these sales engagements, you're deeply trying to help someone. And so, yeah, you, you come to a deal and you do actually probably resolve the problem that they were trying to do in the best way possible. And it's hard to lose deals like that. Um, if you kind you, of, yeah, you know, to what you're saying earlier, like about <sighs> with everything going on with Leah this year, like you in some ways reacted to that by just trying not to feel the emotion at first, at, at first, and I wonder yeah. if people are afraid to recognize the emotion in a sales or business context because they don't want to feel the emotion, right? Like if you don't know how to feel comfortable in your own body, feeling stress and frustration, never mind crippling grief and or anger or or guilt or blame or whatever all those things are, like if you are someone who runs away from their own emotions, then it makes sense to me that they would run away from other people's emotions in general. And to say that you have to recognize emotion, even if that emotion is stress or frustration, which are pretty mild compared to grief. Um, mm. Though they're all, you know, all emotions are valid, right? Um, then it makes sense that they would avoid that element entirely and disregard it as not being as relevant as you know the functional elements of it like that like that makes sense to me because you know even even digging to that level of yeah like am i am i using this right like and recognizing that someone's like feeling vulnerable or feeling frustrated or 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 overwhelmed like to be able mm. to handle that carefully um especially in a sales setting and be like yeah, you know what? I think I think you got this. I think we got to kind of make some tweaks and I think what we've got like will work better, but like you've got the pieces there, you know, like reassuring them, right? Like but if somebody's just been running away from their own emotions, then it's going to be really really hard to handle that other person gently, which is mm. often what you need to do in a sales setting. And I think you know, I think it sounds like to me with you, like you are really learning how to handle yourself gently. It sounds like you learned to handle customers gently first. And now you are <laughs> applying that same empathy and gentleness and curiosity to, uh, you know, that you first learned with uh, people who manage bodybuilding vitamin shops <laughs> uh, to yourself and your personal life. Huh. You come up with some good good observations on, on this. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm now just thinking about about a lot of that. 
I agree. <laughs> I, I, I think I agree. You, you do. Yeah. I, I think something that I was thinking whilst you were talking about that is like when I do talk to customers, um, I am generally pretty honest of like how I'm feeling at the time. So like sometimes like I, I, I kind of balance this thing of like professionalism and unprofessionalism. Um, I can be very professional, but I still like letting people know kind of where I'm at. And, and I've always done this just before the stuff last year. Like, I feel like I've always kind of done that um, because it does kind of cut a lot of, I don't know, it's not like it it uh, breaks the ice, but it, it just, just cuts a lot. And it's nice when you're just talking person to person about something. Mm. Or, you know, if you pick up on certain energy in a call, actually talking about that energy is quite interesting. Like, I remember doing a sales call with someone and they seemed to, to hate me. <laughs> and... <laughs> I, I remember just being like, this person, like, they mustn't hate me. They've just met me. They scheduled the call, you know? <laughs> and, and and I was like, I was like, hey, like, um, you know, just wanted to ask, like, um, uh, what, what did I say? I said, just wanted to ask, like, um, I, like, uh, am, am I doing everything? What did I say? I forgot the perspective, but it wasn't confrontational. It was like, uh, like, are you, are you, you know, is everything okay? Are you okay to kind of like chat today? Kind of like a soft a check-in. I refer to that yeah. in my book as like checking in with them, being like, hey, like is is uh is now still a good time? And you don't necessarily say, like, you seem super stressed. Should we reschedule? It's like, hey, like, is this is this is this still a good time right now, like to talk about this? Like, it's totally fine if you wanna, you know, like just very casual. Which is confrontational, trying to ask someone that, right? Because like they may, but they they never yeah, go. But like, yes, gen- I hate you. <laughs> they, they, I, I, don't, like, I don't know. I, I have <laughs> I have had a few calls that stand out in my mind that were uh, interesting, but only a few of the thousands I've had, right? Like, yeah. At that point, at that point, it's a numbers <laughs> game, and if it's a handful in like thousands, then I think, um, <laughs> then I think it's it's mostly safe to ask. Um, yeah. I think if, if you you're, if you the tone of voice, I think it's really important. So if, if yeah. the tone of voice is like, hey, like, just want to ask, like, do, uh, is everything okay? Like, would you like to, um, like, I'm just getting a sense that, like, you know, maybe something's off. Um, would you like to go see something else in the product? Or do you have something else that you got to do? Because, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And the person was just like, oh, I go into a fight with my boss. <laughs> and oh. I was like, I was it had like, nothing oh, to do with it. you. Had nothing to do with me. But I, yeah. so it was important for me to ask that question. So then I wasn't like, ah, oh, I like lost the sale. But they're like, oh, I got to notify my boss about blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, what about? And they're like, oh, like we act. It was very interesting because it played into like a bento thing. They're like, ah, oh, uh-huh. um, like we accidentally sent uh, a bugged like email to like our list uh, with the wrong, like a test subject line or whatever. And like they were upset. And I was like, I was like, well, we've got, you know, we have features that, that help with that. <laughs> um, but it was just interesting. Like they were in trouble. They were not like the happiest. They had made a couple of mistakes. Um, and that was actually one of the reasons they were talking to us because the boss saw that we had this particular feature and ended up being, you know, closed the deal. They became a customer. It was, it was all good. But I think like picking up on people's energies in calls, being kind um, and asking kind questions and seeing where people are at. And, you know, you get a response, either positive or negative, and you kind of take it from there. Um, but realizing that like, even in sales deals, you're working with real people with real lives and kind of real stressful stuff. And so, you know, uh, from a sales perspective or just like a human perspective, like ask questions, um, that are kind and, you know, like proactively do that. Don't be afraid to, cause like you can allow people to set up their own boundaries and stuff as well. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but 
I guess, I mean, that really brings us full circle, right? You never know what's going on in someone's life and how they treat you and how they react to you may be for, have have absolutely nothing to do with you as a person, right? Like there is so much going on behind the scenes that, um, that we don't know about. And so, you know, be kind to each other, whether that's sales or personal life and, and also be kind to ourselves. I think that's a good well, place to end on. Yeah, I agree. Well said. Well said. This is a good chat. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming back on and, and for really bearing your soul to us. I'm, I'm still just, I'm in awe of the, um, of how, how you are willing to be so, so vulnerable in public. You know, we, we, as a sort of indie community, we talk a lot about build in public, but to me, I'm, I'm finding the people I am just, just the most admirable of are the ones who are vulnerable in public and vulnerable for the benefit of other people. And you are in just such an example of that. And, I, and I'm so, I'm so grateful for you. And thanks for um, being there when I could DM you questions and stuff, like even prior to the uh, the diagnosis, it was really lovely to be able to chat to you about family stuff, um, which I remember that was like our first call, right? Um, and yeah. that call left an imprint on me. Being and, expat uh, parents. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was being expat yeah. parents and I, I was yeah. so excited and I got to ask you all those questions. So I really appreciated being someone that I could um, DM out of the blue and talk to about family stuff because it meant uh, a lot of the time. Yeah. Well, I'm so grateful to be your internet friend and (laughs) to the rest of my internet friends listening to this podcast. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality. Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of BrightBits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from the Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outseta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from Consent Kit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Works Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.